listening to I Am Shatoria, and I am your host, as always, Shatoria Christian. We are here. We're talking about a whole lot of things. You know, we already talk about love, hope, family, relationship, and a whole lot of faith. Today's topic, though, is event sensitive, and it is a stigma that is definitely hits home to a lot of people, a lot of Black communities. But however, we're going to talk about it as we are getting close to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is on Thursday. So I definitely wanted to get this message out and allow people to speak, talk, um, tell how they feel, and just get the word out. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't talk about this. So today, we are going to talk about this. I got a bunch of ladies here with me today, um, which I am absolutely humble and grateful to have these ladies to open up, to talk, to express themselves, and actually just to be open. So I'm going to let the ladies introduce who they are, and then we're going to roll into this conversation. I'm going to start off with my girl, T. Hello. I am Tamantha Golden. I am a school counselor. I've been in this position for five years. I am a national board certified counselor. I'm currently in school to get another degree in community care and counseling with a focus on marriage and family counseling um, because I do aspire to be a marriage and family um, therapist at some point. Okay, and Miss Q. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me. My name is Queenie. I work in the human services field. Um, I'm not a licensed counselor, so big ups to you. Um, One of my favorite people in the world was a school counselor. Um, So my hat goes off to you. Uh, But no, I work in, um, like I said, the human services field. I'm a life coach and um, I do job coaching, uh, non-clinical counseling, housing counseling for those experiencing homelessness here in the DMV. Um, For those that don't know what DMV is, it's uh, DC, Maryland and Virginia. It's not the actual motor vehicles. (laughs) And um, yeah, and I'm a podcaster. So I'm definitely glad to be here and to talk about this subject. And my lovely last guest, go ahead, ma'am. Tell them who you are. So my name is Sean B. And like Queenie, I am from the DMV. However, I currently reside in the South, in South Carolina. I am a recent graduate of marriage and family therapy. And I am working on licensure and um, becoming fully licensed as a clinician and a counselor. Hopefully by 2021, it'll happen. So test is coming up. I am a mother of two. And I thoroughly enjoy everything MFT everything therapy, everything counseling related, everything mental health. It's my passion, my zhuzh. So I'm ready. Oh, wow. First of all, I give you ladies credit. Y'all up in here with these degrees and stuff. <laughs> oh, I mean, whew, yes. I mean, I think some of us, we, we may be walking out of here healed and hollow faith by the time we get through with this conversation today. Yes. Um, and that's my goal is that when people listen to this, they are, they take in what is said and we definitely going to have like contact information at the end, but I, I definitely want people to hear um, not just the words, but your heart and take something from it. And like I said, I pray people are definitely healed um, from this conversation. I always say mental health, uh, mental illness is real, but so is freedom and healedness from it is real. You can have it. But a lot of people have that question. Well, how do I get there? And, you know, and then sometimes let's just be honest. A lot of us, especially, uh, unfortunately, African-Americans, we don't even acknowledge the concept of mental illness. We shove it up under the rug. We we say, ain't nothing wrong with them. They are right. They just having a moment. But 
and anybody can answer let, let's go down to, to the definition really um we can look at the scientific one and then let's just look at the the outright real one that we feel that is a real one what is mental illness t i mean i i guess i can start um i mean mental illness covers many things um the basics are that you will see most prevalent would be like depression and anxiety um far as me i have dealt with anxiety so i just look at it like it is um fear for me it's fear out of the unknown and the what ifs um it just depends on the person um i guess what their triggers are that causes it but those are the two that i've experienced most with my students depression and anxiety okay. yeah yeah i would agree with you definitely the highest things that we see is the um you know anxiety and depression and uh, as you were speaking um Chitori, you were saying that like we just kind of push it under the rug and i think that's one of the worst habits that we have kind of picked up um as a culture is giving excuses to poor behaviors and mm -hmm. um, ignoring poor behaviors so um, anxiety is a big thing. And we some people don't even know what, what it is. They don't know how to title it. They don't know what that feeling is that's overtaking them. They don't really understand that it actually has a name um, because they have not you know, had an opportunity to sit down with a counselor or a therapist or not even really a conversation at the table about what you're feeling and what you're going through. And, um, and instead we're told to just suck it up and get over it, or it's just part of being who we are as African-Americans. And so it's great to talk about this because, you know, I think for me personally, I didn't understand, I, I knew the feeling, I could recognize the feeling, but I didn't know that there was a term for it until I got, you know, became kind of in the industry to say, you know, and then I was introduced to the terminology. And then that's when things started to make sense um, when you're dealing with depression or anxiety and, you know, or even, you know, I mean, there's so many things people deal with, with and, and they ultimately have um, unhealthy mental states, you know, whether it's codependency on, you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever. Um, but a lot of the things that we see show up in our homes, um, especially like as strong Black women, is anxiety and depression. Um, that, you know, it's those things are just not taken care of properly. To piggyback off Queenie, I do agree with the anxiety and depression, Auntie. Um, <clears throat> however, and I do feel like it's prevalent in the Black community, that that's one of our main. I also feel like PTSD and not dealing with our unhealed trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think trauma is a huge one because I think that's something that's really overlooked in a lot of things. Well, a lot of our life experiences come from the trauma that we have received. And we don't realize that how we grow up it's traumatic in some states, some some ways, um, being from the environment that we live in to our cultural past, um, the thing, the stigma of, or the saying, what stays in a home, what happens in a home stays in a home. And with that, for me, helped me to recognize my unhealed issues my depression, my anxiety, my traumas, my PTSD, my everything has come from all childhood experiences. So I truly believe in trauma work when, with the African-American community, aside from 
our racial disparities and our social, the social norms that are go against us and all of those things, I definitely feel like trauma is our number one main issue that leads to the anxiety, the depression, the PTSD, the codependency on drugs and alcohol, whatever it may be, sex. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it, sex. Yeah. How many of us have used sex just to get away to escape that feeling? It's funny that you said that because we just wrapped up our self-love series. And I was just telling T, to me, Lack of self-love also coincides with mental illness anyway. And as for myself, mm-hmm. and when you say trauma, I laugh because here's the thing. A lot of us, we forget about those generational curses, which is part of what we grow into and what keeps going on and on and on. And we really go back and look that has been trauma for years um, because a lot of us are raised in a certain way. I am from the South. I am from Georgia. So I, I grew up in a house where Yes, ma'am, no ma'am was was the thing. However, though, getting your behind beat was another thing. Now, what I wasn't set up for was mama's on drugs. Mama's out here bringing everybody in the house. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing what I'm seeing. But when you say the word uh, trauma, I have come to terms over the years that my trauma started at such a young age. When I look at photos and I can remember oh man, I got my butt beat. This is at three, this is at four because mom is strung out and she's mad. Um, and for me, sex, I was I was molested. I started getting molested at the age of seven. So sex became my drug and it stayed my drug up until way into adulthood. So I had yeah. these things that I held on to and I didn't know I had a, um, I didn't know I was depressed. I knew I needed to get away. So I ran into the military. So that was my way of feeling like I was escaping the things, but unfortunately I didn't escape much because everything was still within me and it traveled until I decided to get the help. And so y'all definitely hit, you know, those, those nails in the different areas. Um, as far people don't want to talk about those things. They don't want to talk. And like I said, yes, we're putting things up under the rug because what happens at home should stay at home. But if Uncle Johnny is molesting little baby girl over here, we have problems because guess what? Now she's going to grow up and she's not going to trust people. And then, oh, by the way, she's going to have start and have kids. And then we're just not going to do anything to just keep passing this down the road. And we do, we did nothing. We, we helped no way, form or fashion. So we have a young lady that is absolutely in her feelings and she's mad all the time. And that's when the angry black woman comes to play because we have all these feelings that nobody wants to talk about. And let's be honest, people don't want to talk about it because there's no safe way to talk about it. Um, when they do talk about it, it's it's always an excuse and a reason why we should. Mm-hmm. That goes back to even our black males. Um, there's such a stigma on them as well to where they've been told, you don't cry, you better not cry because if you cry, you a punk and this, this and this. So now we have angry black men because they've been told, don't do this and don't do that. You don't have emotion. So it's one of those toss-ups that we have going on in our community. But that goes back to this. Where do you start the conversation of mental illness at, though? Like, where do we start this, that that real conversation with people if we see it? You know, with my kids, I started at home. Mm. So I've been enmeshed in the mental health field 
for so long. Like I started off working with those with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And every facet that I've learned along the way, I've tried to instill in my kids, try to make them sensitive. Mm-hmm. Be be nice to the autistic kid in your class. You don't know what they're going through. Be nice to the kid who wears a rope for a belt because you don't know. They obviously don't have it. They can't go. They can't go to Target like we can go to Target. Right. Or, you know, wherever you want to go. It, and it, it's the, for me, working in the elementary school, having an MFT background, having all this experience, um, I feel like everything starts at home. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, how, how else do you break the cycle? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I did the same thing um, as, you know, I think when you know better, you attempt to do better sometimes. And how you grow up is sometimes how you show up, right? So um, I wanted to make sure that I raised my children a bit differently, um, trying to avoid some of the pitfalls that got me um, hemmed up and struggling as a young person. But at the same time, I also wanted to explain to them why I was raising them, why I was raising them, and then why I chose to expose them to certain things in life. Um, Because my mother was an addict as well. And, you know, I went from a very stable environment to living with her just because my grandmother became sick. But it showed me that not only did she have an addiction, which in itself wasn't a mental illness as well, Um, But then she also had um, undiagnosed mental illnesses that no one would talk about. (laughs) They just would let her behavior just be her behavior. (laughs) And and as a kid, I saw this and something was wrong. Again, I didn't have a label, but I knew this was not normal. This is not normal. This is not functional behavior. So talking about it, my kids grew up knowing they're very conscious of it. Um, And just like you stated, Shambi, it's really making sure that they're sensitive enough not to be so critical to other people, towards other people, and to be kind, and to also be kind to themselves and to understand when they're going through something. Now, my daughter, on the other hand, would say, you know, nope, that's not how it is, you know, <laughs> but but when she and I talk, she must I be a teenager. <laughs> She's 19. She's been grown since she was 13, girl. <laughs> but but she's 19. And now when we talk, I realize she got it. She was getting it all along. And she also lets me know where I messed up, you know, and, and I appreciate that. Um, and and I try to tend to her mental well-being now because I know that some of her childhood experiences, she perceived them a little differently than I intended for her to receive them. And um, so now we try to unpack that because I don't want her to be 40, still trying to, you know, heal from those childhood traumas, especially the ones that was unintentional. You, you know what I mean? So I think starting at home, talking to our, our children and addressing things in our families <laughs> that maybe people didn't address before. Um, I don't, I'm unapologetic about it now. So if Uncle Bill touched me, I speak up and say, no, you do know Uncle Bill was touching not just me, but all of us, right? Mm. You know what I mean? I make everyone uncomfortable. I make them all uncomfortable because I believe that we have to... So talk therapy is a big thing. It's the same thing when you call people out on their crap. You know, 
have to you have to watch me because sometimes I'll say the other word. So, <laughs> so but yeah. totally relatable. <laughs> I, I had to pause like on their crap. <laughs> so agree. Agree with both of what has been said, but I also will say far as where it should start, um, because I am an educator, I do believe that we have a part in educating about this as well. And not only that, in the church, because for, again, the African-American community, you know, for so many years, because I'm in my 40s, you, you know, we go to church, I'm from South Carolina, so that old Southern Baptist religion that just, like you said, sweeps things under the rug, you hide it, you don't talk about it, but luckily, I've been blessed as an adult to be a part of ministries that do talk about it, and they're not hiding it, because it is real. Um, so the more the church takes a part in educating their congregation, the more they can now feel like they're comfortable enough to go home and talk to their kids about it and their family. And, you know, like you said, call those relatives out and say, you know, you hurt me when I was three years old or eight years old and this happened. Um, not only that, but to tie in the trauma, I'm glad that Shambi brought that up. Um, in the educational world, we now are starting to talk more about mm -hmm. what's called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experience where you know you could have so many of them and it will affect you later on in adulthood and so just the education behind that I pulled up the document because I can't remember all of them but little simple things like the domestic abuse that you may not have witnessed as a child with your parents um, a parent being um, a substance abuser being emotionally or physically abused as a child um, a loss or some, something within your family of a parent or a close guardian. Once you start to increase the number in that, so if you're like a one, those people may be okay. It just depends on that loss. It could affect you the same as someone that had a 10, but they have been proven to show that like you're gonna, you could possibly have um, the same things end up happening to yourself as an adult, or you could end up with like certain health issues as far as like the diabetes, the cancers and things of that sort as well, if your number is increased, because it causes more stress. And when your body has that stress and that trauma, it's gonna kind of stick with you. It doesn't forget it. And it stays there until it's dealt with. So just like you said, Absolutely. Funny, because that's actually the question I was about to ask. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people, and this also goes back to the word, uh, a lot of people do not realize that stress unforgiveness, all those things stacked up on you causes health issues. Um, we're talking about the spiritual side and then the actual physical side. And when your spiritual side is sick, your physical side starts to get sick. And the thing about it is we hold things so deep in. Um, a friend of mine, she had posted it on Facebook. And the problem is a, a lot of people see the flowers, but nobody sees the root from those flowers. So a lot of people don't understand half the time, well, why these flowers are not growing? I'm, I'm, you know, or one of the biggest things that I've always been told, you always smiling. You never going through anything. If only you knew what was behind this teeth and my thoughts and how I get in my car and I cringe and I cry or how I've done years with the fact of um, don't touch me or I'm that type of person. If I feel like you are, Looking at me, I'm really big about vibes. So I have that self-consciousness because at seven, a man decided that it was okay to do whatever he wanted. And because I didn't say anything because it was, you better not say anything. 
I knew nobody was going to believe me because oh well you know we in this world going through mama got her own demons and so it was that it, it took me the longest to where I came uh, uh, I, I adapt to men touching me because to me it was a sign of I'm cute I'm beautiful I'm all these things I should be hearing that I didn't hear so when you guys hear these stories especially as counselors and you guys are going to school how do especially if you balance yourself how does that affect you your life and when mm. you're trying to help the next person because i can imagine you going through something and then somebody's bringing you something and you like whoa that's that's a lot how anybody how do you deal with that and try to keep yourself i don't want to say not to involve however not to be so emotionally cringed you do learn to separate the two um like it's not gonna not affect you when like for me when a kid comes in and says that they experienced something that i may have experienced at their age um the toughest one for me was actually a young lady that i lived um in a former city with that moved here and so I knew her personally, like she was basically a family family member. Um, and so for that situation, that was the only time that I really had a tough time separating it. But in the back of my head, I had to keep telling myself, you know, I had to keep the two apart. I was in that role serving as her school counselor, not the person that she looked at like an aunt, um, because it was more of a issue she was just bringing to school to talk it out. Um, Luckily, it wasn't anything major, but you just kind of, even just with regular life, you learn how to deal with the triggers and um, and cope because you don't want it to cause you to go down like a rabbit hole or to increase those emotions to take you back to that place. Um, you just find ways to move forward. So I have become a huge advocate of self-care. I've always been that person who has neglected myself. And I probably came from the same experience as you guys, Victoria, with the molestation and um, seeing my worth as being devalued. Because if you feel like you can come and violate my personal physical being, then is that all I'm worth right. to you? Is that all I'm worth to this world? And so it took till recently, actually, um, probably about five years ago for that conflict to be resolved. And it took a lot of vulnerability, something that us Black women, we don't have the luxury of having is being vulnerable. Because like my mother taught me, suck it up, be strong, mm -hmm. don't show emotion. So now here I am at 39, married, loving, loving life with my husband, but it's hard for me to be vulnerable to him because I've gone through the molestation. I have gone through the feelings of being devalued by the men in my life. I've gone through a drug addicted and alcoholic dad who didn't, all he did was tell me that I was beautiful, but through a drunken lens or inhibited lens. So how do I see that from a sober man to say, oh, you're beautiful and accept that. I'm not used to accepting that because beautiful to me meant I'm sexualized. That's My round booty makes me 
beautiful. That's, that's it. Not my beautiful brown skin, not my smile, not my eyes, not my personality, but what I can do for you. So to piggyback off, off of Samantha and the ACEs and all that, yeah, my ACEs score is high. I did, I took the ACEs. It's high. And yes, the stress comes along with it. Yes, the deep down depression that you didn't realize you had shows up in adulthood when you're trying to feel form those relationships that are valuable and meaningful to you. And then after depression comes, then anxiety, because now you're fearful, fearful of if I show too much of who I really am, are they still going to like me? Mm. If I show too much of who I really am, am I worthy enough? So for me, for mental illness, that's mental illness to me. It's being stuck in this cycle. And for me to be able to understand that of another and help them through that means the world. Because I know what it meant for me to go through it. The healing process is not easy at all. It's scary. It's a lot of tears, <laughs> a lot of fetal positions. <laughs> um, the physical pain, forget the mental, the physical pain. Like your back hurt and your head hurt. You don't know what's happening to you, but you're going through all of this. And it's because of the experiences that you experience along the way. That sounded a little poetic. Just to that, <laughs> that girl, good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I agree with the ladies um, that have, spoken before me and I, I can relate to all of that you know um I, I think though you know I, I you know when I was younger <clears throat> excuse me not even when I was younger I mean you know now right I asked myself why was I going through so much right it was just like I have so many experiences that would have taken some other people out but now working in the field and even in my my previous career field, I was a hairstylist and it was the same thing. Um, people would come to me with all these experiences and, and I would be able to, one, hear them and if they wanted coaching or they needed encouragement or just needed a person to listen or could relate, here it was I could relate. And I, I didn't understand why. I mean, you know, you know, sometimes people tell you stories, they're just kind of fabricating it and making it up. But my stories were true. I really went through this, you know, and and um, that's probably when I realized how how our creator had been orchestrating and aligning line, me up all those years, um, really turning my pain into um, power, right? And I was able to then find myself into the career field that I am in now. And when people come to me with a lot of tra trauma. Um, I went from having toxic empathy <laughs> to having very healthy empathy <laughs> um, because it was toxic because I could feel it and I was bringing it home and then I would I was try I would try to go out there and save the world and and then come in home and have no one to help save me. Um, when I figured out what was going on, thank God I work in a field where it's a lot of therapists and um, and they're my friends. They're not just therapists, you know. They're they're my friends, and so I could talk to them and go to them and tell them the things I was going through. And they helped me to, you know, figure out tools 
to use because again, I'm not a clinical therapist, but I was, so I was coming home overwhelmed with a lot of things, um, just trying to save the world. And much like what Shambi just mentioned about the, um, you know, and, and you also, Shatoria, um, when you look at the childhood sexual trauma and the damage that it, do, it has done to us all that have been affected by it, um, you know, that's something that we didn't get a chance to talk a lot about, but we feel it every day. We see it show up in how we move and how we live our life and or how we choose not to live our life. And so I think what affects me more than anything is when I look at a young girl um, that's school age and she <clears throat> discloses that she's been touched in some way, or if I see her being very promiscuous and then I kind of dig down and kind of talk to her and let her know what I went through because I see me in her. And so a lot of times that's probably the hardest part for me not to take it too personal. Right. Mm -hmm. And then to go home and, you know, drag mama out the house. You know what I mean? So, so I had to learn and I still have to do it daily, like learn my place in that and still try to help that person as much as I can, because no one was there for me. And if someone would have just been there for me at that time, I think my life could have been a little different. You know, I wouldn't have become very promiscuous. I wouldn't have not wanted to be touched. Um, as an adult woman, I wouldn't look at men like you are just a mess. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have these, right. these memories and these connections to certain behaviors that I see unhealthy men now, um, you know, do or practice. And I'm looking at them like, I'm concerned about you and what you might've done before. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. maybe if someone would have helped me to manage it as a kid, um, as a younger person, I wouldn't be 40 plus years old, still having to manage those things. And so I try to help those that I do run across that have experienced that more than anything, because it's, it stays with us yeah. forever, you know? So with that, somebody, so this wasn't one of the questions, but I was asked this question um, for the podcast when it came on to self-love and it was ironic with the the answer. And I, when I thought about it, I, my answer actually shot me. So somebody had posted on social media, they said, if you was to wake up right now from a nap and realize you're still in kindergarten, what would be the first reaction you would have? And I literally saw people go, I'm about to slap such and such, such and such. I'm changing everything about my history. And I kid you not had to think about it. And it's crazy. People may think it sounds. I got asked that question and I said, I wouldn't change anything. And my reasoning for not changing anything, despite the fact, the trauma, the issues, because I truly believe if it didn't happen, I don't think for me, I would be able to one, speak freely on being a survivor. Two, I don't think I will be able to relate to the young ladies that I see that or walk in the shoes that I've walked. Um, I don't think, like, I don't even think I would take affirmation so serious like I do. Um, I'm a very sensitive person, so I cry to drop a dime. That's just me. I don't think I would be in this position. Now, would I be in a better position? Probably not. Probably things might have could have went a different way. However, if I was to wake up from a nap in kindergarten, but here's the thing about waking up from that nap in kindergarten. 
I was already being abused in kindergarten. So for me, it wouldn't have changed anything. However, it has allowed me to see, when I see people with these, um, you see people and you see them smiling, you see them like just living life and enjoying it. I now know that all smiles are not always good smiles. Mm -hmm. And I now know there's something behind those smiles. So I don't get jealous of those individuals anymore because people say, I always smile. And not knowing there's a lot going on behind this smile. So if you was to wake up from a nap and you was in kindergarten, if you was to change any, what, what would you do waking up from that nap knowing that you don't live this life and you wake up out the blue and you are five year, five, six years old again? What would be your reaction to knowing the life that you've seen and lived? I see the faces. <laughs> you know, my my five and six year old years were good. They were very good. You know, I unfortunately I experienced molestation and sexual trauma at about from about 11, 12 until maybe 14 or so. Yeah. So I guess if I woke up and I am able to know where obviously life is going to take me now. I mean, I mean, my family's going to hear this. I would just avoid it at all costs if I live with my mother. So uh, that would be, you know, I remember at nine wanting to live with her. And I remember my grandmother saying, no, you do not. And then when she became sick, I was forced to live with her. So my grandmother was absolutely correct. But my kindergarten years were great. I have zero complaints. So I think I would have, um, I think I would just, I would do something different. I would drive my, my nine, 10, 11 year old self in a different direction. Okay. Yeah. So you, I'd have probably ran away from home or something, which would have probably turned out better than, than living with my mother, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know. I mean, you know, grandparents usually know the best because I, yeah. um, I never forget. And I said it last week, I never forget, um, my, I was in seventh grade. And I remember my mother coming back to get my siblings, uh, sixth, sixth grade, sixth grade. And I remember my mother come back to get my, you know, and I'm thinking she's coming to get us. You know, I got that, that anticipation, like she's coming back. Of course. Yeah. And my mother looked me dead in my face and was like, I don't want you. Um, and I literally can pinpoint this is the day. And I hate, the, I don't like to use the word hate, but I, I literally knew this is when hatred set in. Um, not understanding set in. And yes, I know it's crazy to say I wouldn't change that. However, I wouldn't because I learned through that my worth, how it was being valued at that time. Mm -hmm. um, even at, you know, 11, 12 years old. So to hear a, a, a woman that birthed me say, I don't want you. And this wasn't the first time, but it was that type of hit that, that voice that, cause I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for you to come and get me. And for you to look me dead in my face and was like, nope. I was like, oh, okay. And now that I have a daughter, you know, she stays up under my whole chest and I'm like, oh, can I breathe? Can I breathe? However, mm -hmm. I enjoyed that moment because I knew what it was not to have that moment. And I think that's one of the reasons why I don't, I wouldn't change the past because I appreciate being a mother so much more. 
It's a different, it's, it's a different feel for me now because I had a mother who didn't care who, how you birth someone and you just don't care. But that, again, that's just me. I see T whole face, T, what, what you got? <laughs> he was like, Ooh. I, yeah, I agree with you far as like, I don't believe that I would necessarily change anything about things that happened in my, over my life um, because I do know that it got me to where I am and the experiences that I have. So to go back for a second to when you were asking about um, how we deal with helping others, like just to see the look on that face of the female when I say, I understand because I've been there as well. And then the tears come after that because most of the time they don't say anything because they don't think that anyone will believe them. Mm-hmm. And I know how important that is. Um, so when you say kindergarten, when you first said that, it, I, my eyes got big, like, wow, she said kindergarten. And that's the first memory I have of being touched inappropriately on the back of the school bus by one of the male students that I guess may have been in my class. To this day, I can tell you exactly what he had on, the exact outfit. And I'm 43 years old. And it happened when I was five. Um, and so I, the only thing that I could see that I may say would be a little different would be, um, when my parents saw me crying and asking me why I may have actually verbalized what was going on just so that people after me, cousins and stuff wouldn't also remain silent. It shouldn't have been until we were grown with kids that we start have conversations about what happened in childhood. Because like you said, it builds a generational curse and I can see how sexual assault, I can't think of any females on one side of my family that didn't experience it. And had we said something earlier, maybe we could have done something to prevent it, Mm. is what I've always thought. Yes. I'm biased. I don't want to say biased, but I'm in between. Like, I probably wouldn't change anything except for... I wish that the women who are here today were there back then. Mm. The support system, the mentors, just the availability, just like even in the school system, um, I enjoy being able to be that safe space for kids to come and you know, be their true authentic self, say what's really going on with them, say what's on their mind and be okay with that because I didn't have that. And when I grew up, when we were coming up, we didn't have that. We had a school counselor, yes, but I don't even know who my school counselor was, not through elementary, middle or high school. I don't know who they were because at that time, my school counselor was only preparing me for the next grade. for transition right so i could transition well but then when it comes to handling the stress when it comes to learning about what anxiety looks like um being confident and speaking about sexual trauma because i spoke up Um, my sexual trauma wasn't until high school and i spoke up and it was a lot of crying and a lot of screaming and he's saying this and I don't know about this and what about this. And for me, it takes one time for a child to come to me and say so-and-so did something. I'm not questioning that child. So the questioning 
hindered a lot of relationships. It destroyed trust between my parents, my siblings. It destroyed trust. And I don't want that for our generation. The young the young ones is coming up, even my kids. You know, um, I have a 16 year old and she had her first sexual encounter. It was not the greatest for her. But to be that space, to work with her through that healing process was everything, you know, under my own roof, didn't know, you know what I mean? And so not that she was molested or anything, but still, even consensual sex at a young age. They ain't ready. We're babies. Yeah. We're not ready. No. We don't even know what it means, but we think we are. So we we do it. Even with the molestation, like we want to, I was a people pleaser. I got the good grades, the first to graduate high school, the first to go to college, the first to get a master's degree, the first for everything. I was the good girl. And in those silent moments of the good girl is where everything lies. So a lot of us parents, we think that, oh, my kid, on a roll, straight A's, this, she's excelling in these extracurriculars, she's doing this, she's working, she's driving, she's doing all of these amazing things, he or she, but at the end of the day, she's holding something really, he or she's holding something really dark and deep inside of them. And how do we deal with that? Or do we just sweep it under the rug like we usually do? So I'm all about the out and open. Um, and that's where I am with it. So I just take my experiences and I try to encourage those who may or may not be going through them to just be open, speak up. I, did, I wasn't allowed, I was a mute child. You know what I mean? Like I raised my hand, I participated in class, I did all that. But when it came to my feelings and emotions and recognizing them, I had not a clue. I was a mute child. So you just answered uh, part of one of the, the, the last questions I was going to ask. So I laugh because I was I wasn't mute. So I've always been told, "Oh my gosh, attorney, you talk too much," and blah blah blah. However, come up just like you, I had I had good grades. Once I got my life together, I started to have good grades. <laughs> um, my grandmother, uh, she was strict, so. Her strictness allowed me to undermine her rules in the way um, because I still had guys coming to the house. Um, I had that, that, that thirst to be loved. And I thought having sex was it. It was like, hey, he likes me. And then it's, no, I don't. You're just good for sex. And I kid you not, it's one of those, it was like a, uh, you know how you got the, what they call them, the little uh, scrunchies that they put the needle, the, the needle patch that the old school people that sold would have. And I felt like I had a bunch of needles in me every time I thought a person loved me. And so just like you were saying, it's one of those things to where I feel good. He likes me. I'm cute. However, that is not the case. 
um, I saw my, I put my worthiness in other people's hands. And now at 38 years old, I look at everything I've gone through. And you know, the, the generation thing, I have come to my, my terms in my life that I'm breaking every generational curse I can find. If this family got it, we're breaking it. Okay, you know what? I'm going to go out and be different because I didn't have anyone telling me, well, Tori, you can be the president. Oh, you can do this. You know how we ask kids what you want to be when you grow up? Kids, you're not. So they asked us, what you want to be when you grow up? I, at third grade, I promise you. And we had to draw a picture of our favorite thing. Favorite thing. You know what I drew a picture of? A dude. I never forget it. A dude. A whole dude. And my teacher was like, so you are a boy lover. Yeah, I'm third grade. I'm third grade. I'm having sex under a tree at nine. Can't nothing else go wrong at this point. You know, it. how you can't. And so now with those things, when I look back at them, I don't cry over them anymore because I've overcame those. My goal now, which goes into the question, what are we doing to make a difference? So, you know, I told God, I want to make a difference. I, I want to be different. I don't want to be like everybody else because I've drank my way, literally. Like people say now, I don't drink that much. Like I'm, I'm good. I don't always have to have wine or something like that. I'm good. Um, but back, back then, oh yeah, no, no. I got off. I left my grandmother home the night I graduated high school, and I went to college. I worked full time. But guess what I was doing on my off time from school and work? I was sleeping with people. I was drinking. I was partying. I was living the best life, going to school, a little drunk. Oh, Donna, you know, doing these fun things. And I wasted away. I wasted a lot of time. And the question was, well, what do you want to do? I want to be a teacher. What you want to teach? Mm, I don't even know. I don't even know if I'm going to make it through college anyway. So I'm just going to community college because I just need something to do. You know what? Forget it. I go in the military. And that's what I did. And the same question is, what you going to be when you grow up? I don't know. So now the generational curses is that we're breaking is, I'm the first in my family on my mother's side to have a college degree. I just got my college degree after 19 years from being out of high school. You know, I'm blessed to be able to own not one, but two homes, to own not one, but two businesses, um, to be able to say, um, one of the biggest things, and this may not be fair about this is me. I've never been on government assistance since I have been an adult. For me, that's a big thing because I grew up on that. I grew up on the, the peanut butter with the oil in it, the cheese that didn't melt. That's what I grew up on. So now y'all laugh, I'm so serious. That's that was my life. That's what it was. So the difference that I choose to make in a community is I started the business, I Am Shatoria, where we, we have affirmation cards. So just like you said, Shambi, I need that affirmation. So I have affirmation cards because I need that that daily reminder that I'm beautiful and I'm this and I'm this, because guess what? When somebody's not telling me, you know, I got this car and the Bible tells me this, but at the same time, I got this car and this car tells me that I am beautiful. And I got to keep reminding myself. Um, I have a daughter that I have to remember to remind her. And she got this personality to where she always says, mommy, am I pretty? You know what? You sure is. You are beautiful. You are this, you are this. Um, but one of the other generational curses I did break was finding a man in my life that speaks that same language, that reminds 
my daughter that she is beautiful, that reminds her that she is a queen, not just me, but to see a male role model actually says it. If I didn't reach a goal in my life, that is the one goal I'm proud of because there's too many men that see women as property and as all these things. And she has a father that looks at her and go, no, you are beautiful. You are a queen. You are this. And I don't think a lot of people, even in this generation, realize how much that means something to the soul. A male figure, fathers more or less, that is, that's to the soul when, you know, I'm a, look, again, I'm a parent absentee. I didn't have neither one of my parents. So, and I never heard, I love you from my parents, you know, especially from my mom until it was too late. My mom was passing at that time. Um, but we're not an I love you family. And I don't think people realize how important those words are. So sorry to be long-winded on that question, but what difference are you trying to make in the community? You know, I think you guys, some of you have mine already said it, but what, what's the difference you want to make among the people? For me, I just want our people to heal. Our families. Like I am, I've been divorced twice. I remarried my first husband. And that union has spoke volumes to me. Not to say that I've learned something from each and each marriage, but this one, this time is significantly very different and um to see the impact of broken families in our community like it's crazy and it's mainly because we have poor role models mm. we have poor role models our parents our uncles our aunts cousins whoever they may be they're, they're poor role models for us. But that's who we have. That's our immediate focus at the moment. That's our model. So that's what we go by until we start to meet other individuals who show us different. So I'm grateful for those individuals who came into my life along the way and who, who have been able to show me differently because if not for them, who knows? Who seriously knows? But my purpose is to heal the culture, the Black woman individually, the Black man individually, and the Black family systematically. That is my purpose. And if I can touch the babies yeah. from the root, I'm for it. And if I can heal the oldest, <laughs> at 70 because right now my dad is like probably he probably don't even know I'm putting him through therapy but I am <laughs> but you know it's just we want different we want us to be better I'm tired of the stigma behind the African-American community because we are not a stigma we are royalty mm -hmm. and we have been told and conditioned differently for centuries and it's time for that to change. The one thing I do want to add to yours before we go to everyone else is um, when you started to mention about families is a lot of us have messed up villages. And we're always saying it takes a village to raise a kid. Here's our problem. We have some messed up villages. Like we, 
we got some villages that ain't too bright, right? But we depending on the village to help us raise, but we're forgetting that the village has their own trauma. So we're allowing that village to make print of more drama in the future generation that we have. So we definitely got to keep our villages as a whole in prayer. But at the same time, I'm really big about this. I don't care if we blood or not. If you toxic, we're going to keep a distance. We're going to pray for you and get you together. However, though, you would not bring that until the seed that I am trying to raise, that I am trying to water with the powerful words and the powerful, the love and the, the vision that they need to see, blood or not. Because at the end of the day, just like you said, a lot of those mommy, daddies, aunties, cousins, or the reason a lot of us have trauma to this day. And again, we sweep things under the rug and we don't want to get them the help that they need because it's just not what we do. But that's just me. Okay. Queen. That and we don't want to listen. Oh, absolutely not. We're very defensive. We oh, my kid. Oh, oh, what I'm doing? Oh, yeah, I'm defensive. We get the neck rolling. We don't want to talk to nobody. We want to curse people. No. But we sometimes we just have to listen that back on system. And unfortunately, not everything is a system issue. A lot of that is just, again, we're defensive and I want to have my way and I don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing. I have an issue with that. It comes a point to, for me, we have to be adults, especially when we're adults. I have a problem. And real quick, before I go back to Queen, I do apologize. I saw a young lady made a comment she said that her daughter, I never forget, and it broke my heart. She said her daughter, they was watching something, and then her daughter had said, um, she asked her daughter, and the child was like seven years old. Well, you know, how, how you feel if mommy, you know, mommy died? She was like, I mean, if you die, you die. Now, and the daughter said, I will cry if my daddy dies. But if you die, I mean, it is what it is. And the mom got so upset with her, she started yelling and cussing at her. And then the little seven-year-old girl was like, well, okay, my bad. I'm sorry. She said the little girl came back and apologized to her. And she tried to give her a hug. And she said, I told her, don't touch me. Don't touch me. How dare you? And I'm thinking, whoa. And, I, you know, I asked the question, how you think she's going to take that? Well, she, she never said what she said, but she's seven. She's not an adult. She's seven. And if she's telling you, well, mama, oh, well, you die, you die. There's some underlying situation going on between you and your daughter. You you need to have a conversation with her. I don't need to have a conversation with her, but you want her to not feel the way she feels. So when you tell her to get off you, don't talk to you, and you cuss at her, you really think you about to have a, a, a decent conversation even at seven? Well, I'm the mom, and this right here is where our problem lies right here. She didn't like the fact that the daughter saw the dad as, she basically seen it as the, the dad on a pedestal. And for me, as a woman, I would love to have my father as that. Oh, like my daughter see her dad, she likes up. Like she be, she be trying to scare him and all this other stuff. Like they got that relationship. I'm cool with that. I wouldn't, I'm not about to be jealous of that relationship. I want you to have that relationship. So to see you yell at a seven-year-old because she said something she honestly, let's be honest, she don't understand. And for you to shove her off and tell her, she said the little girl stayed in her room for, you know, the whole day and wouldn't come out. And I was like, well, did you at least feed her? But however, that that bothers my soul. But that's me. Queen, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, not just you. That that mother has a lot of issues of her own to unpack because that was not about the kid. That was all about her. That's a whole nother conversation in the black community, how we when a man leaves us, he leaves the whole household. So he can't see his kid, but anywho. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead, Queen. Okay. Um, what was the initial question? Because yes, I'm all over here like, yep, yep, yep. Um how would you make a difference in the community with everything going on? Okay, with everything going so I think, you know, um finding ways to change the narrative and starting with myself. Um, I'm a, I try to hold myself accountable for my own unhealthy behaviors, right? Because I have ruined some really good relationships because I didn't know how to function in them, especially when I was younger, you know? I'm writing a segment now about the one that got away. And it really is just me being very transparent as to how I destroyed a beautiful relationship with a very beautiful man when I was very young because I was coming from a toxic environment. Um, my neighborhood that my mother moved me in was very toxic and she herself was very toxic. And so I went into the arms of a man that he didn't, he didn't want to rape me. He didn't want to molest me. He didn't want to abuse me. He didn't want to talk to me any kind of way. He just wanted to love me. And I did not know how to receive that because I've been separated from that for the four or five years living with my mother, which were extremely um, traumatic. So by the time I landed with him, I didn't, I, you know, I, I assumed that he had ill intentions like everyone else I had met over the last four or five years. And, and so I'm, I'm being very honest and open about that because 30 years later, I think, almost 30 years later, um, I still long for love like that because I realized looking back that that was what healthy was from the start. And so I think for me, it's really being transparent and honest and authentic in who I am and trying to show that to my children and challenging them to do the same. And then within my village, as you guys are talking about these, these villages that are toxic and probably needs to be dismantled, um, you know, I do believe that it takes a village to influence our youth, but I'm also a believer that we can create the village that we desire. And I was blessed to be able to do that along the way. I mean, I grew up with my mother in the hood and I took even some of those hood life lessons and allowed them to help to rear me as to who I am today. It, it made me a lot tougher, but I didn't remain in those environments. I didn't remain in some of that toxicity that I saw. Instead, I took some of that and allowed the lesson to lead. And um, so I gravitate to the creation of a village. And so I gravitate to people that I thought would be good influences for my children, and it's a certain type of energy I chose that I wanted to be around as well. And so for me, that's what I think that I've tried to do, whether it's, you know, like I said, we're in the homeless community. So even there, I try to show them positivity. I try to show them a different side of things. Um, I don't try to fix them. I just try to show them how life can be different with other resources and opportunities and maybe decisions and choices. And, and I try to do that in my everyday life. So anyone that's hearing this and know me, they're like, oh yeah, that's pretty much who she is, you know, because that's try, That's how I attempt to show up. I don't always get it right, but I attempt to show up that way so that I'm hoping that, because I believe that 
like like we can remember the people that we watched growing up that po- that did positively impact our life i believe that i am someone's positive impact i believe that i'm somebody's light and i want to make sure that i'm mindful of how i'm carrying myself to include with my kids my nieces my nephews and and my community and even anyone that's listening you know i always try to be mindful of that because that's what guided me out of the dark days was seeing my godmother and listen to her voice pull me out and thinking about the village that I came from, which was my grandmother and allowing her words and the seeds that she planted when I was a kid to pull me out. So I, I believe it's the narrative and I believe it's how we show up, not just for ourselves, but for others that I believe will be the biggest impact that I personally will try to leave and many of us will leave. Okay, look at you over there doing big things. But I, no. <laughs> I, I really do, I give you credit for accountability. Um, a lot of people, gonna call it what it is a lot of us women we are not able to go and say i let a good one go oh yeah we ain't gonna say it we ain't gonna give you that satisfaction i'm not about it as a matter of fact we're gonna say you you let me go that's your fault we ain't we ain't taking no hit for that no we're not taking no hit so i i hands down give you uh like how Shambi over there with them with them fingers I, I <laughs> like with the poetry set tonight <laughs> ability we don't have I mean let's be look because I know about the one that got away yeah that's why we remarried I don't got that I know I have a couple 10 years I'm gonna have to invite y'all afterwards so we can talk about that <laughs> absolutely that's another top that's another segment but yes yeah, because it's real like we've screwed ourselves in ways and the problem is we're not able to actually come out of our mouths and say i did that i actually and i actually had a good one or you know yeah he looked like a nerd and you know he was treating me really good but that just wasn't for me and now you in a position where you're like well shoot he wasn't that bad no he wasn't that bad we told you that but however we yeah we that's another segment we don't need to talk about that because yeah, yeah thank yeah. you for that though thank you for the the transparency of being real and being honest that's really where this stuff starts is being honest and transparent about yourself so I see T over here like T what you doing for the community <laughs> doing some things what you doing for the community um I just agree with pretty much everything that was said the accountability piece is big um. It starts with allowing, you know, as um, Shambi said, the healing process. We have to um, help people through that. I think a big thing with our community is trust. We have to teach them how to trust again um, because we've been through so much the oppression and everything else that we had to deal with over century or more. so it, you know, we're just that those people that don't trust as easily. Um, and so I believe that anybody can change no matter how old you are, it's just whether or not you're gonna be willing to do it. Um, and so admitting when you're wrong, that's gonna be a big thing for black women. Um, I do agree with people when they say that, that sometimes we do have that, not just women. Um, my, my dad is one of those ones <laughs> that you won't say it. Um, I love you though. <laughs> but, um, you know, a, a thing that I do say to my parents a lot because I appreciate the fact that they do listen to me um, for whatever reason, I guess, being around older people when I was younger and always listening, I have been looked at like a little wiser than um, I guess I should have been for my age. 
And so I tell them a lot, when you know better, you do better. And once they know once that, that statement comes out, um, that's their opportunity. You can go left or you can go right now. You choose your path. Um, you can be stuck here or you can, it can get better or things can change from here with ever, whomever's influencing. Um, but I also had a pastor that used to say, when you're the smartest, the biggest thing in your circle, you need to find a new circle. So it goes back to what Queenie was saying with the um, building your own village. You shouldn't necessarily, I mean, of course, you're going to be there to help people and pull them up. But you need those people above you as well so that you still have the proper resources and everything to be equipped to do that successfully. So um, so my foundational thing is helping people to trust again um, because we go through things and those things do affect us into adulthood. And that is part of that healing process. Well, I definitely thank you. First of all, I thank all three of you ladies. Um, for coming out, being vulnerable, being open, um, being honest. I mean, that, that's, that's big. And I, I pray that somebody listen to this, they get something from it, they receive from it, um, they make some new changes from it, and then they have new outlets. Um, that's definitely something that I really try to push with uh, the podcast is that people get new outlets, they get new people they can talk to, and have that open relationship and communication with. So I definitely want to thank each of you. Um, if you guys don't mind, if some if people want to hit you guys up, um, start with Queenie, how can they find you? Um, sure. Well, because I'm in transition from Bar Talks to Podcast, um, I would rather people just come on Facebook and maybe follow me there. Um, and it's Queenie Love, Q-U-E-N-I-E-L-O-V-E. Or you can follow me on IG. I'm in the middle of um, changing the, or oh, rebranding my um, brand. So, um, but you can follow me on IG at bartalks um, underscore Q-L-U-V. That's spelled B-A-R-T-A-L-K-S underscore Q-L-U-V. Um, and I mean, you can just find me there and all the other links to everything else that I'm doing is present from my nonprofit to just, my podcast and a YouTube page. So bar talks are clean. And I'm definitely going to tag you all. So thank you. Yeah. I'm going to definitely tag you you all when we start to, um, when this comes out, we are definitely going to tag. Um, Tamitha, you know, same with you, Facebook. Facebook is T golden. And on IG, I am golden faith 2020. Oh. And Miss Shambi. So I have two. Um, on Instagram, I'm underscore Shambi, S-H-O-M-B-E-E. That's my personal. My professional is A Calm Mind. Um, and you can find out on Facebook or Instagram. And again, Shambi Marshall on Facebook or A Calm Mind on Facebook. So whichever one you choose. We're going we're gonna to tag you guys so people are able to um listen to you hit you up ask what questions they want to ask just in case you know they don't want to be known for you know nothing else they can hit your inboxes up but again i thank you ladies um for definitely being here we're going to get ready to close out so to everybody listening i have to say thank you again for joining us but we're not done with this mental health please join us for our next episode where i have three more individuals where they're talking about their walk their issues dealing with it growing up in it um 
but their cultures are different than ours. However, everybody is having mental issues, especially in this COVID time. So we want to talk and embrace on everyone. Again, thank you for joining me today. As always, you can check me out on IG and Facebook at I am Shatoria. Our website, IamShatoria.com, where you will receive more information about this topic, upcoming events, encouragement, and inspiration. I believe we always need to walk in love, live fearlessly, and always have a whole lot of faith. As always, it's never goodbye, but talk to you later. Have a blessed one. Thank you.